we have choices and then there's consequences to our decisions. So yeah. it's helpful for folks to understand. It's like, hey, okay, I'm, I am making a decision. I'm going to leave this relationship. And I understand that my lifestyle is not going to be the same as a result. I'm going to have less money, but I have made a decision that it's worth it. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. I'm your host, Stacey Francis, and I'm excited that you could join us today. Today, we're going to be talking about a very important topic, and that is breadwinning women. More and more women are taking the reins and out-earning their husbands. And while this can be good for the financial economic unit of families, it has repercussions in divorce. In fact, Today, we're going to be speaking with Chris Melcher, who is a celebrity attorney who works with quite a few breadwinning women. We're going to talk about the issues, financial issues that women face both during and after divorce. And we're also going to talk about spousal support and what he calls manimony, the trend of seeing more and more women paying out alimony to their husband for a period of time after their divorce. This creates a lot of issues and, well, repercussions on women who are struggling to figure out, should they stay or should they go? And make sure you stay to the end because Chris shares a really easy formula that can help you make that decision with confidence and with clarity. So without further ado, please help me welcome our special guest that we have here today, Chris Melcher, family law attorney from LA with his own firm and a huge amount of deep experience and information he's going to be sharing about family law and breadwinning women. Chris, it's great to have you here. I'm always fascinated in everyone's story about how they went into matrimonial law. What is your story? How did you come to this profession? Well, it was kind of by accident. It was certainly not by choice. I, I never thought that I would want to be a divorce attorney. If I would have known that would have been the field of law that I would be practicing, I don't think I would have become a lawyer. So my my idea was in law school is that I would do corporate securities law. That was of interest to me, dealing with tax issues and also taking companies public. That was the course that I charted for myself because I had saw a, a lawyer, Richard Reardon, who was very successful in Los Angeles doing that type of work and then actually became L.A. mayor. And I thought, wow, I'm just going to follow in this guy's footsteps. And, but when I got out of law school, it was a steep recession. No hiring was happening. So I had to go into criminal defense and some civil litigation. Did that. And the guy down the hall from me was a divorce lawyer. We started going to lunch. He's about 10 years or so older than I am. 
I didn't know that he was kind of secretly recruiting me to, you know, come and join him because he was he was looking for somebody to help him and eventually be his partner. And I'm glad that I kept that idea open. And we started then the firm with the two of us and a secretary to now eight lawyers and, and staff. And that's it's amazing. Been a great, great partnership. That's amazing. And you're out in California and I'm very jealous, especially as, you know, us New Yorkers, we, we bundle up during the winters with negative 30 and knock on wood, you don't do that. Today, we're going to be talking about something that affects women actually across the country, whether you're in you know, Los Angeles, California, or you're in New York City, where I am. And that is breadwinning women. And the number of women who are considered breadwinning women, it's the highest number that we've ever seen in history. And this is not something that is going to go away. More women are graduating college than our male counterparts. And just because of societal issues, we're Many women are, are taking the lead in their family to earn more and may not have set out to do that, but it just is the way that it is. And this has a lot of implications, obviously, for marriages because it's not quite the societal norm. So there tends to be a lot more pressure. And a statistic I read, Chris, that really shocked me is that marriages of female breadwinners are 50% more likely to end up in divorce. That was from a, a study out of the University of Chicago. So tell me, I mean, are you seeing that too, that families with breadwinning women, that they're more likely to reach out to you? And the other thing I'd love to just talk about is what are some of the factors? Why do you think that that's happening? Well, Stacey, that's absolutely correct about how things have changed and for the better that we've, we're getting away from all of these gender bias and stereotypical roles in a relationship and having couples make the best financial decision for their family. And if you're looking at it strictly on an economic level, if one of the partners in the relationship has a higher earning capacity than the other and they have kids, it's a no-brainer that the higher earner should be working. And if they, the other partner wants to stay home and take care of the kids, that it would be the lower earning partner. So it makes perfect sense if they want to structure their lives that way. And so we are seeing a lot of couples with the woman partner, if it's a heterosexual couple, being the higher earner. Um, and that works for them while they're together. Now, there can be problems during the relationship with resentment because this, even though as a society, hopefully we're getting past these gender stereotypes, these are still kind of deeply ingrained in some people. And so I, I have seen some women feel resentful that they're out there working and that their husband isn't. And I've also yeah. seen husbands feel emasculated or because they, they figure like, wow, I am, I am not making the money. I should be the breadwinner. And their female partner is that role. And they may have reconciled that between the two of them. But when in social settings, we've seen and I've, I've seen reported to me that others will come up to the man and figure he's the one you know, what do you do for a living? And how did you afford this big house? And all, what is your success story? And they would go directly to him, assuming that he was the source of the wealth. 
and yeah. not her. And then it would put him in an awkward position to say, well, no, I actually don't do anything so uh, to, to make this money. So I've heard of these stories where these kind of emotional wounds that have happened over the course of the relationship. So it can actually break the couple up if they haven't processed this idea that like, hey, yeah. we have made this conscious choice for economic reasons for our family unit. We are doing this. We value each other's roles. We are equal partners. We think all our contributions are equal to each other. They have to remind themselves of this stuff. Otherwise, it goes into all this craziness. Yeah. You know, it's so powerful what you said that we contribute equally, that we value each other's contributions. And the relationships that I see break down is where that's not happening. That's not happening. And it could be because their contributions aren't equal, or it could be that they are, but just they have a different set of glasses on of what they think they might be. And it's really been fascinating for me because I've taken over the breadwinner place in our household. And it was a 20-year overnight success, 20 years of hard work, working 90-hour work weeks. And finally, because I'm an entrepreneur and really your earnings can be more of your own making, I've been able to reach that level. And that shift in the last year has required my husband and I to talk quite a bit about these things because we have kids, we have three pets who I think it sometimes feel like they're more work than the kids. And there have been times where I'm just overwhelmed or he's overwhelmed, whatever it might be. And if we don't talk about it, that's absolutely a recipe for disaster. And then you layer the stress of children, the stress of COVID, the stress of everything else. And, you know, in some ways, I'm not surprised that these relationships where it's not necessarily the normal societal way that we've grown up about a marriage working struggles, struggles and has a few more headwinds. Well, and it's, it is a feature in all relationships that we don't value each other's contributions and because we just don't necessarily understand what the other person is doing and how mm -hmm. hard it is to, for example, you know, raise a child and be, be that stay-at-home parent. And also that the one that's out there in the workforce gets a lot of positive reinforcement from being, you know, you, you get paid yeah. a lot of money. You have people that are following your orders or directions or they're yeah. giving you compliments. And when you're in that bubble, you kind of tend to think like you are great. And then the one that's staying at home doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of interaction, doesn't get a whole lot of compliments. It's very difficult work to do, mostly done inside the home. Yeah. And so that person could be led to believe or, or feel themselves that their contribution just isn't equal. So it's very important. And I think where, where I came down on it is because in California law, we, we, for community property, we follow a partnership model. And so we say that all contributions by either spouse, whether they're working or staying at home, are equal to each other. And so once I started studying and learning about community property law, it helped me understand, like at least legally, how this is being looked at, and then also helped me to adjust to understanding how we should treat each other as partners. And while we're talking about that, so we've got 13 states that are community property, and if California, Washington, Louisiana, I'm trying to remember from the CFP test, <laughs> all those states, 
And then there's common law, which is the other. Is there a significant difference when it comes to equitable distribution between just the general guidelines of what you would expect in a community property state versus a common law? Well, there there certainly are. So some of these Western states are community property law, which would follow more of this partnership model and would say whatever happens during the marriage is community property. You know, whatever's acquired during the marriage generally is community and has to be divided 50-50. And then we set alimony, maintenance, or spouse support. There's just different terms that people use on top of that. So if the couple bought a house and had a pension and other stuff that they acquired during marriage, the court would have to divide that 50-50 and then look at the relative financial circumstances of the couple to say, okay, well, we have one spouse that's going to go forward and continue working and making a bunch of money. The other one doesn't have much of an earning capacity. Yes, there's this pot of money that we just divided. And they kind of consider all that and say, well, there should be some spousal support, alimony or maintenance on top of that. In an equitable distribution state, and they all have different little flavors of, of how they do it, they don't follow those strict rules. And they look at the length of the marriage, health, education, mm-hmm. property, income. Where did this money come from? Was it inherited? How much did it grow during the marriage if it was inherited? Well, they put all these factors together and they'll say, okay, we have a, an estate. And how are we going to equitably divide this up based on all those factors? And that could be 50-50, it could be 70-30. So they come up with a division. And then after that, they could set spousal support, alimony, or maintenance. But many times there isn't much awarded because the same factors that a California court would use to set alimony, meaning length of marriage, property, income, domestic violence, tax consequences, health, are already considered in the equitable distribution court in dividing the estate. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be considered one way or the other, no matter where you're at. If you have one spouse that's working and earning all the money, you know, and that's going to continue post-divorce, and the other spouse that is going to stay home or maybe re-enter the workforce, but at a very depressed earning capacity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we have that set up, it doesn't really matter where the divorce happens. It's going to be considered. And the one that's the high earner is going to feel that they are being penalized for being the high earner and that they can, yes, they can get a divorce. They can be restored to a single status and date and marry somebody else, but they're not going to really escape the financial commitments resulting from that marriage very easily. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point that whether it's a community property state or like California or a common law that's New York where we're following equitable distribution in New York and in these other states, no two divorces are the same. They really are not the same because all of the different factors are are unique to each situation. And for all of you listening today, we're going to go ahead and put in the show notes those states that follow community property so that you can have that as a reference to see where you are. And, you know, most importantly, make sure that you talk to attorney in your state. Matrimonial law is not like working with a therapist that you could work with a therapist in Florida and you're in California. You know, you really do need to work with a a lawyer that specializes in matrimonial law and specializes ideally in, in your state and your area of the state as well. You bring up something, I think, Chris, that is a really important topic, alimony. And I love how you call it also another word for it, manimony. 
do you see a lot of breadwinning women as part of the agreement paying alimony? Some states, again, call it spousal support. That's what we call it over here. How frequent is that? Well, it is very interesting to see the reaction to a, a woman who's being told that she's going to have to pay support to her husband. Mm-hmm. You know, men have been speaking out about this for ever since alimony was created. They've, there's no man who's probably ever felt that it was fair or right and has said, this is just wrong. And they complain about it and look at ways to minimize or get out of it. But then they just have to just follow the law. But when it's the woman, many times it's like, no, absolutely not. I will not entertain this thought. This is not happening. And they will fight hard against that idea. And it's very difficult to, I think it is one of these, again, lingering stereotypes. Like, I'm not supporting this guy. He can go out and work. But ultimately, all these divorces, doesn't matter, you know, the gender, it's an economic issue. And this is where most people go wrong when they're going through a divorce because it's so emotional. I mean, you're losing your partner and you're, it's very scary for sure. But ultimately, it's an economic question. And if we have one person who makes a lot of money and the other spouse who doesn't make much money, there is going to be a shift of wealth over to that other spouse we call the outspouse. It's going to happen one way or the other, no matter what you call it. And the quicker that the client can recognize that and try and plan around it, the better, rather than just Mm -hmm. saying, no, I don't like this, because that's how these divorce cases perpetuate. And then the lawyers have to charge money to fight. And now all of a sudden, they're just wasting their money on attorney's fees because this, we call it the pie, the estate doesn't get any bigger going through a divorce. It's like it is the pie. It's this is the amount of money that you have to work with as a couple. And the only question is how we're going to cut those pieces up and the lawyers get a piece. And ideally, you want those pieces to be as small as possible. But if we're going to fight over things like I don't want to support my ex-spouse and there's there's an economic need for that support, all we're doing is just increasing the, the slice to the lawyers and mm-hmm. decreasing the slice to the parties who are actually it's their money. You make a a really interesting point, and I've seen the shoe on the other side where, you know, some of our male clients really frustrated that they need to support their spouse going forward. The times when I see the most frustration is when she's stayed at home and they have children and they have a full-time nanny, or she stayed home, they don't have kids. And it's not because of health reasons or taking care of aging parents. And then we also have men that that is the situation. Do courts ever take into account circumstances like that when a couple is before them? And if so, what might that look like? Yeah, Stacey, those are are really, really hard for people to accept. And then you throw on... The fact that that most of these people have new boyfriend, girlfriend, they might even be living with somebody else and now saying the support. Okay, so where this comes from is so most people would think just intuitively that spouse support, alimony, manimony, whatever we're calling it, is strictly rehabilitative. 
that mm-hmm. it's like if you need it to absolutely survive, to put a roof over your head yep. and to, to yep. food and clothing, then that's the purpose of it. But unfortunately, like in California, that's not how we define it. We use needs, a needs approach, which is based on the marital standard of living. And it's a completely perverted definition, I think, of needs. We're not looking at, at need as an absolute. We're looking at needs more as wants. So if they had a high standard of living, the support is also going to be high. I've seen that the largest spouse support one I've had is $550,000 a month. It's an absurd amount of money. Nobody needs that. But that's where we've gotten in California because of our definition of support. The standard is to keep people supported and status quo. How'd they live during marriage? Well, if there's a lot of income, we want to see people continue to, to live in that same standard. And it, that's very frustrating to folks that have to pay that. And then also this great sense of entitlement where the recipient, well, I've seen people like, how could I live off of $50,000 a month? And it's, and it's, I've actually lost it on some of these clients to, you know, just a reality check to say like, I yeah. can't believe you're even saying this, but that's where we've gotten. Now, some states don't do that. They will take more of an absolute need and to say, hey, if you're on, if you have to go on welfare, then sure, we're going to make your ex pay support. But if it's not, you know, at that level, we're not going to order it. Also, yeah. when you get into the outskirts of some places, even California, they look at this completely different. So if, if mm-hmm. you're in Los Angeles, we're now accustomed to these gigantic support orders because we got a lot of wealthy people here getting divorced. But if you get into smaller communities in California, they don't think like they do in L.A. or San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah. They, they may fare better in that court. Yeah, definitely, Chris, we see that as well, where New York City, we're very used to extremely large awards. And the judges here are, you know, used to that as well. And you can go two hours outside the city to something, to a much smaller town. And those judges, you're just not going to get the same type of award there. And for us, we have a, a cap that's used for both spousal support calculations and child support. And it's discretionary whether or not you go above that cap. So the amount of income of the payer that it's considered. And New York judges are just very honestly much more accustomed to going above that. I spoke to a lovely woman who confided in me that she's wanted to get a divorce from her spouse for about five years. They have been married for seven and sorry, actually married for 10 years. And of that, he's been unemployed for seven years, not due to health issues or, or anything like that, but just having a difficult time finding a job, getting one, then being let go. She shared with me that part of the reason she stayed is that she was so afraid of having their assets split and having to pay spousal support alimony. They don't have any children. And we chatted and really talked about this. And my advice was that while this is going to impact her financially, she has another 40 years to her life. And is this the right solution for you if you took away that financial piece? And at that point, it became very clear of, you know, this is not my person. And even if it's going to be difficult to move on, I should do so. When you have a woman come into your office who is the breadwinner in the marriage and 
Do you have any advice for her that might be different than the woman who's coming who is either, you know, the lower earner or stay-at-home mom? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's great that that she spoke with you because again, this is a financial issue that that we have to look at. So if it's the the breadwinner that I'm consulting with, to me, and th- this is always a line because I'm a lawyer, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a, I am a counselor at law, but I mean, I'm supposed to be counseling about legal issues, not personal issues. So why the marriage is suffering or whatever is not my thing. And I would accept that this person's unhappy because obviously they're talking to a divorce lawyer. And then we, we, we just kind of kind of model this thing to me. And it just everyone, you know, is going to process this differently. But if I was going through this, I think I would look at, okay, I am unhappy in this relationship for sure. But if I went through a divorce, this is what it, how it would impact me. And I would lose half my stuff. I'd have to pay support. If there's kids involved, I'd now have to like, I wouldn't have access to my kids that easily just coming home and saying hi. I'd have to schedule it. So I'd have all these things stacked up on the other side. And then I would do my best to put myself in these two mindsets and scenarios and saying, okay, am I happier in scenario one, leaving the, re- the relationship and losing all that stuff, going through all that hassle to see my kids, or scenario two, staying in the relationship, keeping all my stuff and being able to see my kids. Now, to the more accurately we can model that, then people can make a more informed choice. Because mm-hmm. it's very easy if, if the only factor is happiness, well, then, yeah, everybody probably just get divorced and just say, yeah, I'm ready to move on. But it's not that simple. There are financial consequences. And if you're younger, if you're 25 years old, yeah, sure, you get divorced and reinvent yourself. No problem. But if you're 50, it's going to be harder yeah. to reinvent yourself. And the accumulation of that wealth, especially if they had kids and, and maybe the kids are just now, you know, graduating college and they're not having to be financially supported anymore. And they're just now able to hopefully accumulate some wealth towards retirement. And now if we're saying, oh, no, (laughs) you're going to lose half of your stuff and pay support. It's never going to be enough money unless we're talking super wealthy people. But for most folks, even if they were very comfortable and did well, if, if we take their estate and hack it in two and then throw some support on top of it and say, okay, now with the same amount of money, that the two of you were making do in one household with a whole bunch of shared expenses, we're going to now take the same amount of money and the same amount of income because, again, we didn't grow the pie and and we actually lost a couple slices to these lawyers. We are now going to live on less in two separate households. There's no way that you're growing. You are basically, why don't you just set the clock back 15 years is another way of looking at it and saying, you know, do you want to set the clock back 15 years on your financial planning for retirement? What's more important, being happy or not? And so that's where I'm trying to adjust people because, again, I, I actually hate my job. I don't like doing this anymore. I'm sorry. And, you know, I've just done it long enough where it's like, I'm just very honest with people. It's like, I don't want your money. I don't even want your case. Like, let me tell you how this works. You can hear this, go down to court, listen to, spend a day in divorce court, listen to these cases, because this is what you're going to go through because I want people to make informed choices and not act emotionally and just say, oh yeah, I want a divorce and then tell them later, oh, well, by the way, you're going to lose half your stuff. You have to pay support and you're not going to see your kids and you're going to pay a whole bunch of attorney's fees. No, people need to know that 
up front. They need yeah. to know what they're getting into. So that's where I'm just like brutally honest with people when I'm concerned. No, it's, it's actually really refreshing to hear that because what you're saying is the truth. Divorce is not a picnic and you want to make sure that if that's your choice, that you know what you're walking into. And my story of how I came to hear is that my grandmother didn't leave her marriage. She felt very financially trapped and it was an abusive marriage, so much so that she ended up dying from the abuse. Now, obviously, there are not too many stories like that of people hopefully that come to you, but often there are very unhealthy relationships. And how I come down on this is knowledge is power. And let's take a look to see, will you be okay financially? So even if you're kicking the can backwards 15 years for retirement, are you still going to be okay? And sometimes, Chris, it looks perfect and she can continue or, or maybe earn a little bit more, increase her earnings or, or the years that she's working, but it's going to work out just as it's going to work for him. And sometimes when we run that analysis for her, it's not going to work out. And it's interesting because I think it's just as important to share that financially it's not going to work out. And for you to make it work out, this is going to have to happen. This is going to have to happen. And I think that's just as important because then she can go and make that decision and do it with knowledge of, okay, I know what I'm I'm saying yes to or I'm saying no to. And I'm going to make sure that if I do move forward, that I get my financial ducks in a row. It's interesting. We see even breadwinning women sometimes not taking as much agency over their entire finances and financial picture as others. And it's not just the stay-at-home mom that maybe isn't part of the finances as much as we would like her to be. It could be her, no matter what she makes. And, and to be honest, we have plenty of men where they've kind of divided and conquered and she takes care of that. But it's so important as they go into the divorce process to understand what they do have, because otherwise you can't make good decisions about the finances and if this is you know, really right for you. Yeah, absolutely. And if it's an abusive relationship, that's so much easier to decide because nobody mm-hmm. should be in an abusive relationship and certainly not stay in it for financial reasons. So they they just going to have to just leave and then make do with however it works out. So that that's an easier one than the, hey, I'm just not kind of like happy anymore. Yeah. That's yeah. different. Yeah. You know, to me, I think getting advice from a good divorce lawyer, from a financial planner who's experienced in these things like yourself up front before they pull the trigger on things is super important because we have choices and then there's consequences to our decisions. So yeah. it's helpful for folks to understand. It's like, hey, okay, I'm, I am making a decision. I'm going to leave this relationship. And I understand that my lifestyle is not going to be the same as a result. I'm going to have less money but I have made a decision that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. that's important for them to recognize and, and because it's going to come up later on. This case could go on for a couple of years, potentially. And so when they're in it, it's like, what do you mean I'm not going to be able to live at the same what do you, standard of living? What do you mean I can't live in this house? We have to sell the house. It's good for people to say like, hey, well, this is the choice that you made, remember? So it's important to have that 
reminder because it's very easy to get far afield from it when you're going through this fight with somebody else. Now, there's also some things that could happen that are positives as a result of a divorce. If you're in a abusive relationship or you're just so unhappy, even though it's not abusive, when you're free of that, you might find yourself making twice as much money because you were being held back before. And now that you're in this, you know, environment that you can thrive, you will thrive. So there's always accounting for that. I've seen people stay in relationships because of kids and they're, it's, and I'm going to wait for that until they're out of high school. I'm going to wait till they're out of college. I'm going to wait for this. I'm going to wait for that. And it hurts their health. Even their physical health can be Mm -hmm. affected by sacrificing yourself to be in that type of relationship. So I think this team approach, looking at a divorce lawyer, a financial planner, and a counselor, and then having a friend too, putting that team together, that support system, looking at it from all those different angles and sharing all these ideas, and then a good decision can be made. And then, then you just have to move forward with it because it's, it is a very difficult and expensive process, but there was a, you know, sometimes it's worth it, you know, it, but it's ultimately the decision that has to be made by the client and where I'm pushing back on a lot of the divorce lawyers are just processing this client comes in. I want a divorce. Okay, fine. Here's the paperwork. It's almost like a gleeful. Oh, great. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Or or they just, they don't understand their own role. which is to me, it's, I'm trying to model because the training for lawyers is terrible. So I'm modeling it. The best analog I have is medicine. And if a patient comes in and says, doctor, I want my arm removed, or I want you to do surgery, they're going to say, well, slow down. Let me ask you a couple (laughs) of questions. They're not going to just say, okay, let's schedule that. So you get into informed consent And so it's not just the patient saying yes, it's with information to make that decision. So that's the model that I'm using in my practice is I want my clients to give informed consent, which means I have to educate them about what their legal rights and obligations are. And then also following the Hippocratic Oath too, which doesn't apply to lawyers, but I'm using it as first do no harm. So it's to understand that my capacity to harm my own client is just as great as it is to help them by giving them bad advice, not giving them the information that they need, making decisions for them or bullying them into decisions is more likely to harm them than Mm -hmm. it is to help them. So I'm looking at all that stuff and then going on that journey with the client because it's their money, their life, their kids, their decision, not mine, but a lot of lawyers really Mm -hmm. obviously haven't got that message. Chris, this has been one of the most refreshing conversations I've had all year. Can you share how our listeners can reach out to you? What is the best way? And for all of you listening, we'll make sure we put this in show notes as well. Sure. So if you just Google Christopher Melcher, you'll come up with a bunch of information about me, my website, other podcasts that I've done. I have a YouTube channel now that I've been, you know, so if you go to YouTube, you'll see me on there where I'm just doing general legal commentary. That's kind of more of a passion for me, and I'm hoping maybe in my second life that I'll just do that because I, I like sharing this information about the law so people can be empowered and make their own decisions. And so I've been commenting on just general legal issues. And so I hope you join me over there on the channel and, 
And if, if you have suggestions about topics that you'd like me to cover, just go ahead and comment on there. I always monitor those. Fantastic, Chris. Thank you so much. And everybody listening, we will put a link to Chris's YouTube channel as well as some of the podcasts that he's been in. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing this great information with our, our listeners today. Well, thanks for having me, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining today. I really enjoyed the conversation that we had with Chris, and I thought it was so powerful and so authentic. He's one of the first people I've ever talked to who shared that he doesn't really like his job and that his role is to help people decide if a divorce is the right fit and not necessarily just go down that path. Well, I have to tell you, I 100% agree with him that understanding the implications of your divorce, while difficult to face, is imperative to make sure that if you do decide to move forward, that it's the right thing for you. Because it's a lot like toothpaste. You can't really put toothpaste back into a tube. And I have to tell you, once you start your divorce, it can be difficult, very difficult to stop it and to be able to mend that relationship. So make sure that you're informed. And part of that, a big part, is what things are going to look like financially for you, whether you're in a community property state or a common law state following equitable distribution. It's important to know what things will look like for you, not only right after the divorce, but long-term. And it doesn't mean that finances need to dictate what your decision is. And I really would encourage you not to let it dictate whether or not a divorce is right for you, especially if you're in an unhealthy and extremely unhappy relationship. But knowing what will lie ahead for you financially will put you in front of the eight ball and allow you to go through that process knowledgeable and much more likely to be financially secure afterwards. So make sure that you reach out to a wonderful matrimonial attorney to understand the laws of your state and make sure that you reach out to an experienced certified divorce financial planner. And when I say experienced, ideally they've worked on not 10 or 20 cases, but hundreds of cases like we have. If you have any questions that we can help you with, please let us know. We work with women all over the United States, and one of our specialties is working with breadwinning women. You can reach me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com, or you can visit our website, www.francisfinancial.com. We have a fantastic service that can give you an idea of where you are today, what things will look at like for you after divorce to help you make a good decision that is going to support you for the rest of your life. Thank you again for joining us for Financially Ever After. We're looking forward to seeing you in two short weeks. Thank you.